0: since we've heard that particular theme music but it does of course signal uh, the gardening program and the return of the gardening program here on Midwest Radio for Saturday mornings. Porrick, good morning morning to you. Good morning, Deirdre. And how are you? And Welcome to 2016 as far as I'm concerned anyway. It's flown hasn't it? The winter
1: has really just, it's been, uh, I was saying to you earlier, it's actually been the mildest the wettest winter on record.
0: I didn't quite realise that it was fully the wettest winter on record. No, I know it has obviously been very wet, but going back to 2009 and uh, that very wet winter we had, I didn't realise that it had kind of surpassed that. Absolutely,
1: yeah, it's the wettest on on record and the mildest, and I suppose that combination has seen plants continue to grow through the winter period, um, you know plant like plants like common plants like mm. hydrangeas were flowering up to January, early February, where, where normally in October they'd be knocked back with hard frost and so on so plants have been actually growing right through the winter and uh, of course we saw daffodils flowering around Christmas time and mm. the whole season was very mixed up, I'm, I'm sure the the plants were didn't know what didn't hit know them now what, yeah. with, the, with a bit of frost um over the last couple of days but certainly it's been the, the wettest and the mildest um, and of course that has brought some issues as well for people with uh, lawns and, um, you know, when you get that high level of, of rainfall and, and mild temperatures, temperatures. Um, certain weeds and certain mosses continue to grow through the winter. So there's lots of those sort of um things to tackle certainly this year. Um, but it's good to be back.
0: Good, well it's great to have you back and I know lots of people uh, have been eager to get questions in already this morning. We're going to come to all of those in a little bit. We're going to start off by talking about honey Honey, this yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I was fortunate to, uh, one of the guys in uh, Dermot from the Westport Beekeepers Association rang me recently and he said he had some spare honey um, which is like hen's teeth to get. Spare honey, spare. yeah. Spare. <laughs> um, so this is local Uh, Honey that's produced in the west of Ireland is produced around Westport. What I like about it is the bee makes the honey directly from the nectar and pollen that we have in the west of Ireland. Mm -hmm. So all the native flowering plants um, are used to produce the honey. And what I have found over the years is that particularly people that have allergies to hay fever or to pollen during the summertime, if they take honey at this time of year, locally produced honey, you tend to build up a resistance to allergies during the summer period because really what's in honey is the pure extract from the flower nectar and from the pollen. Mm. That's all that's in honey. So the bees extract the, the, the nectar, they collect the pollen and they produce honey directly from that. And it's hard to believe the human hand hasn't touched that okay. honey. So it's, it's pure. It's, 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 um, all it's all the, the beekeepers do is, to, is filter it. They put it through a filter just to take out any kind of small little bits, bits. of flowers or, yeah. or debris. Um, but apart from that, there's nothing added to honey.
0: That's um, a very interesting way of putting it, that the human hand hasn't touched it. Because when you think of, I suppose, all the different kinds of honey that can be, and I know there's some very commercial, uh, commercially produced honey, uh, but it, yeah, the, like there really is nothing to be the natural, natural.
1: Yeah, and, and the key point is that this is west of Ireland. It's produced in mayo. It, it has been produced directly from the flowers, the trees, uh, the floor, all the flora in within the west of Ireland. And that's the pollen that triggers allergies during the summer period. Many of the honeys that you buy now um, are all EU imported or non-EU imported. Yeah, so, and they're
0: kind of a mix, some of them as well. Well, they're coming from yeah. Africa. Yeah. They're
1: coming from all over the world. They're mixed together and blended. But really, they're not produced from the natural flora and fauna here in Ireland. So look out for that. It's available at the moment. It runs out the door. It, it literally goes, it'll be gone by the weekend. Mm. So we have about 100 jars, I think, of it available in Turlock Garden Centre. And uh, my thanks to the guys in Westport because uh, I was delighted to get it for myself. Never mind anybody else. But it's good to get it, and particularly for people that tend to suffer from, from allergies, yeah. uh, particularly pollen-related allergies, you'll find honey one of the best things. Because your your body is getting used used to the to the pollen and nectar that's contained within the flowers. So take a spoon of it every day and... Build up your immune, immune system. system yeah that's and really suppose, the message
0: and we've all uh, kind of succumbed to colds and flus and what have you over the winter period maybe partly because of the mild weather I don't know that's always a one for debate yeah. but it well, is great to kind of just keep 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 the body as healthy as possible and absolutely
1: that's well, and one of the key things about bees in particular and as you know they they uh, they're dying all over the world there's a, a major problem with um Bee uh, collapse disorder um, all over or, over the world, not just here in Ireland. And of course, the bees, it's not about the honey really, it's about what they do for us, which mm. is pollination. So, one out of every three spoonfuls of food you put into your mouth have been pollinated by bees. So, that's how important they are in the whole ecosystem. So, it's a critically important. So, our apple trees won't produce fruit, or our pear trees won't produce fruit, mm. or many of our, our native flowering plants won't produce seed without the honeybee. So from that point of view, the the the, the honey is, I suppose, a, a it's, byproduct. It's, the, yeah, it's the, an the, added it's, bonus. It's,
0: it's the luxury. It uh, is. Yeah, yeah. It is.
1: But the the key, the key thing that bees do for us is to pollinate our our native plants and crops, oilseed rape, and um, all the anything that okay. that needs pollination is done by the bee.
0: And in fairness, we don't really always think about it no, in we those don't. terms. We do think of, tend in terms think think of honey, honey production first. Honey, of course, first. we do. And then uh, yes, and, and also that other thing happens, but we do forget. Yes, of course. Pollination when you is. Say that they one every third mouthful, mouthful. It, it is, is pollinated
1: by bees, so everything you know, from blueberries figure. to strawberries yeah. to you name yeah, it I mean, oh. is, is pollinated by, by insects, and particularly the honeybee. So, the honey is available at the moment, we'll have it for a couple of days, for a limited and period. particularly for people that mm. have um, hay fever, allergies, that sort of thing, you'll find it particularly useful.
0: Okay, now tomorrow is also a very, very, very important day <laughs> in Lest all our. One, lives. Anyone forget about this? Um, tomorrow's Mother's Day, of course.
1: Where does Mother's Day come from?
0: Well, I don't know. Do you have an answer to this? <laughs> <laughs> I, cause, and i never quite sure as to... I always thought it was the third Sunday in March, but then I think it's got more to do with the Lent. It is. And is it the, the fourth, fourth Sunday, Sunday in, in Lent? Lent. And yeah. it goes
1: back to the 1600s, believe it or not. And it was called Mothering Sunday. Sunday. Right. And it was a time when uh, particularly um, children that were in domestic service were allowed to go back to their mothers for that day so it was kind of a a special day for people that were interned or that Worked in domestic service, yeah,
0: which was a lot of people, absolutely like, yeah.
1: back in the 1600s, and they were allowed to go back and see their mammy on the day during Lent. And it was always on the fourth Sunday, so that's
0: where Mother's Day comes from. That's where Mother's Day comes, from, Mother's day I, I comes cynics, from, Mothering Sunday. Yeah, the cynics, you know, would say perhaps that it is a greeting card invention and stuff well, like that. Yeah, um, and okay, maybe there is an element of that, it's but, been exploited, yeah, but it does have uh, obviously historical significance. It does indeed, as well. yeah. yeah, it
1: has been a great Christian uh, tradition, and you know, I suppose it's during Lent. Lent, which was probably very penal at the times, people were allowed, particularly those in domestic service, to go back and, and visit Isn't their mothers right? on Mothering Sunday. So it always falls on the fourth Sunday during Lent. So it can move around a little bit during March. Sometimes it's the 6th of March, it could be the 20th of March next year, or yeah. whatever, it moves around a little bit. But we all celebrated in Hawkins with plants.
0: Yes, well, lot, and yeah. I And I
1: brought a few really nice <laughs> You did, plants.
0: indeed. Yeah, there's some, some fine specimens so there.
1: This one here we call the, the um, Mother's Day plant, um it's, it's a variety of camellia. camellia. yeah. It's in flower now, and, and the reason it's called the Mother's Day plant is because it always, always flowers on Mother's Day, irrespective of the fact that the day changes slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can have, uh, it could be, as I said, the 6th of March this year, it could be the 20th of March next year, whenever Lent falls. But camellia's flower from late February... Um, right through until mid-May. So they're flowering through that Mother's Day period. Period. And they're particularly nice, particularly for it's an outdoor plant, so you can grow it in a pot and container, maybe beside a door. You can plant it out in the garden, Mm -hmm. soil. You can keep it indoors at this time of year whilst it's in flower if you wish, and then plant it out later. And they come in a whole range of different colours, in pinks and reds and blue, or uh, whites, yellows, those sort of shades of colours. Very like a rose flower, the the flower is very large but it's flowering at such an early time of year and it's an evergreen plant as well so it, it retains its foliage all year and, round
0: and obviously a frost hardy then oh, yeah. too yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. so yeah. that one is really lovely it's got lots of nice buds coming along that's and the beauty about them one or them. two of those quite blousy looking flowers uh, uh,
1: and that's it yeah. the flowers are very spectacular but they don't flower all at once so they tend to flower over a very long period so you can often have a mature camellia flowering for nearly six months of the year certainly four to five months of the year mm. starting at the the end of January, early February, and flowering right through to the end of May. So you've got that whole period. So you tend to get, it, it tends to flower. Now, if you do get heavy frost, you'll find hmm. that maybe the flower might stain slightly. It might okay. go slightly brown, but it's only that particular bloom. And another the flower will come out what? a week later. So it, it continues to flower for such a long period. I also brought you in a small little, I thought this is a lovely children's. Uh,
0: Very exciting.
1: Yeah, nice and neat. It's one of the dianthus, and it's just oh, yeah. coming into flower. Smell that. It's a beautiful scent from it. Um, just coming into flower oh, at the yeah. moment.
0: It's, it's like
1: cloves. It's like cloves, yeah. Isn't it's got it? that yeah. kind of a spicy, mm. uh, it's in the carnation it's family. It's low growing. It's, again, it's a perennial. that comes back every year. And again, just a nice, simple, lovely pink blossom on it. And again, it's just starting to flower now. And it flowers for most of the summer. Um, so they're really a really nice plant and very easy to grow. I also brought you a plant for, say, a, a cooler part in the house. Mm-hmm. Something like a bathroom or maybe a spare porch or conservatory. These are the christine Azaleas. So think of the, the, okay. the name Christine. A beautiful plant is just starting to flower now. It's got kind of double pink and white flowers and uh, again you can see the buds lots of buds to, to open just yet again it's an evergreen plant and you could put it out for the summer if you wish but at this time of year it's lovely in a cool part of the house right. and will flower for, for a very long period um, and, you know, and, nice it's
0: ver- and and quite a prolific number of flowers. Loads yeah, and loads yeah, of flowers yeah. on it
1: just beginning just starting now and the other plant I brought you in for summer colour is the double flowering begonia so this is again an that indoor begonia It's lots of colour, um, vivid red flowers, easy to grow. That would suit a warmer situation, maybe a sitting room or a kitchen location, somewhere you've got central heating on and uh, quite a nice little plant. So they're all ideal. Mother's Day gifts.
0: Yeah, gorgeous options there, and a lovely range of colour as well. There is. So the, you know the, the pinks. Yeah, the yeah. begonia obviously is a very deep, gorgeous red, and the pinks then a little bit more delicate, um, and the camellia there, the white as well. So loads of options so for people. So Mother's don't Day. be pretending that you didn't know or you forgot or anything like that. And uh, even though quite often the mummies tend to say, "Oh, now don't be getting I me know. anything," yeah, you know. the reminders Don't Secretly, gently, they? Secretly, they do rather like to get something. So uh, it just. a a nice small plant will be a lovely idea for tomorrow so moving
1: then swiftly along to probably the one I give actually a talk during the week I had a a group in into the garden centre on Wednesday night and thanked them for coming because it was uh, hailstones and snow and, and all sorts of uh, rough conditions but uh, we had a great group in and of course the most popular question that people are asking this year is about the lawn yes. and in particular lawn moss. And, and I see
0: I see loads of questions in already. On yeah, the so list.
1: just to deal with Let's, that so okay. we kind we'll of headed about, it off. Yeah, um, at
0: the pass?
1: I mean we're, we're seeing I suppose unprecedented moss this year because of the mild and wet conditions. Moss continues to grow during the winter season. If you remember when we were back in September and October where I was advocating for people to continue to yes. treat the moss during the winter period because you tend to nip it in the bud how many of us did though you know that's the problem people tend <laughs> yeah. to forget and of course look the weather conditions weren't very well, favourable yeah, you either. look at
0: it and you think oh maybe next week
1: but it is a serious problem at the moment yes. and really people should treat it um, one of the questions I was asked was do you, do you need to cut the lawn first of all and you don't The the lawns are too wet at the moment. You're better staying off the lawn in terms of cutting the lawn's Wait until the the ground dries up a little bit. But in terms of treating the moss, that can be done now. A Mm. day like today would be ideal where you've got relatively dry weather. um, It's perfect for getting the moss treatments on. So use the zero. It's a liquid lawn uh, treatment, you simply mix it with water, you apply it through your spray machine or watering can, it'll work within two or three days, and uh, zero, the container covers quite a big Mm. area, it'll cover about 1600 square yards, so it'll cover pretty much uh, um, a very large Country lawn yeah. area, um, so apply that now. You'll, it'll work within a couple of days, and then as as the weather starts to improve in a week or ten days' time, that's the time to feed the lawn, green it up, and encourage the grass to fill in those bare patches left by the moss. Um, and again, once the weather conditions improve and you can get out there and mow the grass, even though there might be a little bit of frost at night time, you're better off getting out and taking the top off the grass, so setting the blades at a slightly higher level than normal cut, putting the grass box on, and getting the lawn trimmed. But that's going to be determined by as the ground dries up, so that may be another 10 days could be another two weeks just yet yeah, so my nice. advice really is to get rid of the moss now that's the main thing um, and particularly in moss and lawns you need to eradicate it it's, it's very heavy and uh, put on the zero you'll find it very effective put it on a dry day it doesn't matter if it rains tonight mm. it'll, work within, it'll, work. it'll work within two yes. days if you've got moss on patio driveways walls you know yep. again lots of it around at the moment use the pack treatment again it's a liquid you simply mix it in water again apply it out through the spray machine and that can be used on not hard surface area mm. so the pack for the hard surface area, slates, tiles, walls, paving slabs and the The zero. zero for the lawn. Okay. And, that'll, that'll
0: and that really will cur- that that that'll, that'll is the yeah, way to go. Yeah. Okay, lovely. So, um we have quite a few questions. If you have something that you'd like Porik to address and I suppose we we feel we do have the moss issue addressed for the moment. Yes. Um so, uh we'll <laughs> leave those ones to one side, but all others please 087 is our text number. Of course, with thanks to Car Delhi, or indeed you can give us a call and Teresa working on the program with us this morning 08 Um, We just might go back to the honey, there's a couple of questions, can we reiterate uh, the name of the honey, where it's available, that kind of thing? Well
1: I have it in the garden centre at Mm -hmm. the moment, Um, I have about 100 jars there. Um, So it's it's Westport honey, it's produced by the Westport Club, different members produce and some have their own uh, individual labels, so I sell it really as as Westport honey, it's produced in the the Westport area, Um, so it's available in the garden centre as we speak. Excellent.
0: Okay, let's turn our attention so to the questions coming in and we're literally going to take these in chronological order. So, uh, first question, I sowed a new lawn last autumn. What do I need to do before first cut? Should it be rolled and fed first?
1: Well, to be honest, I would leave the feeding now for another, at least another three weeks, two to three weeks, Mm -hmm. wait till the soil temperature start to, to warm up, wait till the ground starts to dry. For the next fortnight I would leave the lawn alone and once the weather dries up the first thing to do is to cut the lawn to trim it because with the new lawns it's like the branch of a tree, the, the grass continues to grow vertical until you take the top out of it. So I'll leave it for about a fortnight once the weather dries up, once you can get out there with the lawnmower, take the top off the lawn, then apply a lawn fertilizer, and um, that's all you'll need. Rolling shouldn't be necessary. That we've had enough rain over the winter to to compact the lawn or to, to bring any to settle it down. So there should be no um, hills or hollows in that lawn at the moment. It'll be well compacted after after the weather. So look at leave it alone for about another fortnight. Trim it then, and then put on a, a lawn feed.
0: Excellent. Um you were discussing the small baby flowering plants on the T V on Tuesday. I
1: was on Ireland GM, yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us what types are available? What do you do with them? And are they better than seeds? asks one of the Well, okay, it.
1: these are the small baby plants. So what they are are Is this prop- like the, I the I plug brought brought plants that, yeah, that you've brought yeah, in. Plugs. Right. Yes. So these are petunias, for example. Okay. So they were sown a month ago. You can see they're in small little cells. Mm-hmm. I'll just pop one out. There right. you go. So they're a month old, they're ready for potting on into a larger pot placing on a windowsill or putting in a greenhouse. So I suppose they're they're a lot easier than sowing seed and particularly for a more difficult seed to, to germinate, for example, yeah. geraniums or begonias or lobelia. They can be quite tricky and they can be expensive to buy as well. For those, I would recommend the plugs and they're all available. So yeah. lobelias, begonias, different coloured geraniums, petunias, um, gazinias, marigolds. There's a whole range of bedding. That, that, that I suppose more popular bedding plants are available as small plugs. So there's... What's in that? That's there's 20. 20. There's actually 20 plants. Yeah. Um, so you simply just take them out, pot them on into larger pots, keep them on your windowsill and grow them on. And they'll give you fantastic plants by mid-May where they can be planted out to flower then for the, for the rest of the year. Fantastic. So you can also sow some seed. I mean, seed is, is easy to sow. Things like sweet peas can be sown at this time of year. And um, Go for the more easier seed. So sweet pea, marigolds, um, You know, all of those, all the kind of popular uh, nasturtiums can all be sown from seed indoors at this time of year. And dear, do you see, we've got the perfect conditions in our homes Mm. where you've got central heating on. If you get a a bright windowsill with a radiator underneath, that's the perfect environment for sowing seeds.
0: Like we have a great bit of sunshine coming in the window now this morning. Yeah, We we could be propagating outside there.
1: Tomatoes, this is the time of year for sowing tomatoes. This is actually a new variety um, called Mountain Magic. It's an F1 hybrid, very good variety, very heavy cropper, but it's also blight resistant. So it's a very good one for growing out of doors in the west of Ireland. Um, So that's one called Mountain Magic. So this is the time of year you'll be sowing the seeds of things like tomatoes, melons, cucumbers, um, peppers all of the, the kind of uh, fruiting vegetables and then all the flowering plants like sweet peas and so on. But the baby plants are available as well and particularly for the more trickier plants like geraniums, begonias that are slow to germinate, I would advise mm. getting get, a, couple, get, get get a couple of packs plugs. Of, the, um, the plugs. of the plugs. Yeah, okay. they work really well.
0: Brilliant. Um, now we've got somebody looking to cover a 10-foot wall with a climber evergreen if possible, please. And how about some flowers as well?
1: Flowers on the climber. Flowering climber. So a green, weather. an evergreen
0: <coughs> flowering climber.
1: Okay, well, there's, there's a couple you could think of. Uh, to grow 10 feet, you need something fairly vigorous. So the first plant I would think of is, a, is an evergreen hydrangea, one called Hydrangea c. maniana. It's got leathery fo- foliage, like a laurel leaf, very dark green, very tough, um, and it self-clings. It roots like ivy to the wall and scrambles up the wall, and it'll grow 10 feet, no problem so what, at all. So
0: what's that called again?
1: It's called Hydrangea c. maniana. Okay. think of the evergreen hydrangea okay. Right. Um, another nice plant would be pyracantha, the firethorn which is easy grown, it flowers, it buries it retains its foliage 12 months of the year there's some evergreen clematis, there's a variety called armandii which again has strong leathery leaves um, with it you'd have to put a little bit of trellis up because it needs to something to to clamber up but again it's quite fast growing it's evergreen nice white flowers during the the spring early summer period Um cianotus there's an evergreen cianotus which again would do very well blue flowers during the the summer period mm-hmm. very dark green foliage and again it's a wall plant so it doesn't stick to the wall particularly it actually just grows up vertically the face of the wall okay so so if you want something self-clinging the ivies of course they don't flower but in many of the ivies and you can introduce then a clematis yes. Into the ivy to give you colour, so, so you've the got a ivy becomes
0: matching. Going if you on. want to do that hmm. as well,
1: and there's many good, very good ivy varieties okay. like Gold Child, Patty's Pride, and mm. um, nice variegated foliage. So, but I think the hydrangea for me would be something different. It's evergreen, it self clings, it flowers, it takes it pr- all, all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we, even when that is well established, you can always introduce other climbers to grow up through it. Right. So the likes of the clematis will use it for support. And, you know, you can get a bit of a bit extra colour from it. Okay. So,
0: and do you sow that from plant or seed? Or from had, plant. Yes, okay.
1: Plants are generally about uh, three, two two and a half to three feet high at the moment plant them now, get them in, pin them to the wall directly with a few electrician clips and once they feel the wall they'll scramble up the wall
0: themselves. Excellent. Um, Now, uh, from uh, clematis or from climbing plants to potatoes, somebody looking for advice on blight-free potato types. When do we plant them? What types? Any special conditions? Joe Mm -hmm. is in Newport with that question. Well, this is
1: the time of year for potatoes in general. Mm -hmm. People should be going to their local garden centre looking for the certified seed potatoes. So you've got the early varieties which you've planted uh, normally traditionally St. Patrick's Day, believe it or not, is the potato. Which is just
0: around the corner, really. Yeah.
1: So at this time of year, select the varieties, get them chitted or sprouted. So again, put them on a warm bright windowsill maybe again in a garage uh, in your greenhouse and get the bu- the little buds to initiate do you know how the spuds start to sprout yeah, in your
0: pantry if they're left in, in the drawer for yeah, so locked. it's the
1: same idea except you want really good light because you want the buds short and green bluish green colour before planting rather than those white ones. Spec- Yeah, so keep them in a bright location get them sprouted for a two or three week period and then plant them out of doors now okay. they can be planted in containers or raised beds or planted out into the garden soil once it dries up if you want blight. Re- Resistant varieties, there's a couple. For early, there's a variety called Orlan Colline, which are two Irish varieties, which do really well, fantastic tasting varieties, do very well in pots as well, if you want to grow them in, in tubs or containers. Um there's for main crop varieties, the two best I find, one called Satanta, which again is an Irish variety, it's the daughter of the rooster potato, white fleshed, red-skinned, really good cropper, and, and a lovely variety called Blue Danube. Have you ever seen a purple? Have you ever seen a purple
0: potato? I have. I, I was once. I once went to South America, and it was in Peru, <laughs> and um, they have the most incredible range of different coloured potatoes yeah. there. It was extraordinary. I mean, it was extraordinary. Well, you can get
1: them now in the west of Ireland, okay. so Blue danube yeah. is one to look for. Again, it's a really good blight-resistant variety. It's a main crop variety. The skin is the colour of purple. It's a real vivid. It's port-winey colour. Yeah. Vivid purple, but the flesh is pure white. And it's a lovely flowery variety, very, very flowery um variety. One of my one of my the team in Turlock, Leone, grew it last year. Blue Danube. Blue Danube
0: is the I, variety. You know, and I, I do think and a lot of people love a flowery potato.
1: This is absolutely, exceptionally flowery. Oh, uh, right. Leone grew them last year, was, was raving this week to me about them, how, how lovely they were. I was delighted to see the seed in Blue again. Blue
0: Danube. Blue it's Danube. It's a, it's a nice
1: variety, it's blight resistant, it's easy to grow, heavy cropper. And mm. um, even though the skin, the outer skin is purple, the flesh is pure white. And makes a very, very good flowery. If you like the kind of curse pink type potato, mm. that really flowery dry potato, it's a really nice variety. So, Blue Danube, Satanta, Orla, Colleen, those four varieties will give you early varieties and also main crop varieties that are tr- that are blight resistant.
0: resistant. Yeah. I'm going to stay with potatoes uh, well, for just a moment because somebody else mm. has a question regarding curse pers- pinks. Um, slugs devoured them in the autumn, so they're okay. wondering, is there any way to prevent them or is there well, I know we've just discussed lots of different types there, well, more blight resistant perhaps than slug resistant, but... Um, this person particularly looking also for spuds to grow in pots
1: well the two I mentioned there or like colium would be very good the fact that they're first early slugs tend not to to touch them right because you know slugs tend to like the curse pink or records. they tend to feed more mainly on main crop varieties so plants certainly those two if you want a really good main crop variety that's slug resistant there's one called kestrel Think of the bird of prey, oh, yeah. the kestrel. That's a very good variety. It has bl- It has slug resistance. A very good cropper. Um, suitable for heavy soils, which you tend to get the, the slug da- damage on. Um, so that would be really good. Um, for pots to the mention, there's a very good variety again. One called Foremost, right. which grows very well in pots because it's got short stems. Only the stems only grow to about two So it feet. doesn't
0: kind of take over. Exactly.
1: It's not flopping all yeah. over the place, particularly if you're growing them in a in a tunnel or a greenhouse area where you want fairly short stems. So that's a foremost. It's a really good variety, nice flavour. Um, so there's lots. To be honest, all the potatoes when grow in pots but some are better than others so Orla Colleen foremost would really do well and for the slight, slug resistant Kestrel. look out for Kestrel that's a, a super right but there's loads tons of different varieties available at the moment the main thing is to get them sprouted and then around St Patrick's weekend or the latter part of March start planting them out of doors or in pots or containers and grow them on. it's a lovely way to grow you know new potatoes out in a bag literally you can get a buy a potato bag you put in two layers of tubers mm. in, in uh, potting compost leave them out on the patio get the kids maybe to plant them up with you over the weekend and they'll produce lovely new potatoes by June of this year.
0: Lovely stuff. Well, we look forward to hearing about those. Um, now, onions and garlic. Uh, somebody purchased some onions and garlic with yourselves, pork. They're wondering, can they plant them out now? They've raised beds and a cold tunnel. Um, what we else could they plant? The tunnel, yeah. Yeah, what, well, well just in the a, tunnel, oh, okay.
1: the tunnel is the ideal spot yeah. to actually start planting because uh, it obviously has kept the rain and the misery off the soil. Mm. So soil conditions will be perfect in a tunnel for planting. Don't, don't worry about the frost uh, at night time. That's not going to penetrate the soil. So go ahead and plant the onions, garlic, your new potatoes. Vegetable plants are available at the moment, small cabbage plants. They can all be planted in the tunnel or greenhouse area. So if if you've got your tunnel, certainly start planting it up now. Um, The soil conditions in the raised bed, it depends on the raised bed. Once the ground starts to dry up a little bit and it's workable, you can certainly start planting the onions, shallots, garlic out of doors. They're all frost hardy, but you just really need the soil conditions to be workable more than anything else. If you want in the short term, what you could do is simply get a seed tray Standard seed tray, fill it with compost, and plant the onion sets very close together mm-hmm. in the seed tray. Right. Put it into the tunnel to grow on, and then plant those out of doors maybe in three weeks' time. So they'll already be about six inches high. They'll have started new growth, lots of healthy roots, and it'll just give you a jump start on, on. Yeah, so use the tunnel maybe to, to bring them on a little bit and then transplant them out. So in a standard seed tray you'll fit fifty bulbs. Plant it side by side in the compost. Just press them into the compost, water them well, leave them in the tunnel, let them grow on or in the greenhouse, and then plant them out of doors as soon as the weather conditions improve. So there could be anything up to six inches at that stage. So you've already got a a month's growth and you're ahead of the posse. And maybe plant some fresh bulbs then in a month's time as well. So you've got them coming on in uh, succession.
0: Okay, so you're 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 spreading out, you're spreading the, out the, the crop. Growth.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. But you, it's great with the tunnel. Anybody that's fortunate to have a tunnel mm. or a greenhouse, it's ideal for kind of getting plants kick kickstarted, uh, for sowing seeds, for germinating seeds. Um, you know, for st- for starting off early yeah. in the season, and the soil condition should be quite dry in there at the moment.
0: Mark, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, pruning, I think. Yeah, so a couple of questions here in relation to pruning. I'm going to kind of lump them together, if I may. Particularly people wondering about pruning rose bushes, Mm. pruning apple trees, pruning hydrangeas okay
1: and you know again that came up during the week yeah the, the garden talk people were worried that the roses have come into growth which mm. they have because of the mild weather and is it too late to prune and the answer is it's not you need to prune the roses back this is perfect weather at the moment for pruning um, and the point i was making to the group was that you need to prune them severely back so if you've got a rose bush that's stems two or three feet high mm. then follow even though that there's new growth at the top that's just Um, because of the mild weather Mm. the plants are are, are triggered into growth come right back to within 6 inches from soil level and cut the rows of that right down hard back remove any dead wood or if branches are very close together you could remove maybe one so Pruning should be done. You have at least another two weeks comfortably to, to, to prune back plants. So now is the time to prune your roses. Great time to prune hydrangeas as well. And with hydrangeas, if it's the mop head varieties, the traditional.
0: The big blousy one. The
1: big blousy one that flowers right through the summer, um, then you cut out the flowering wood only. So you follow back the shoot that has the, the old withered flowered on top, you follow it right back to soil level and cut it out. So don't cut the hydrangea like a rose bush severely, all, every stem. Uh, you're only selectively cutting back the shoots that flowered last year, and they should be uh, have, they should have the old withered flower on the top. Okay. The other thing, the other plants were apples and pears. Again, if, if uh, all fruiting plants except for fruits that have stones, plums, peaches, nectarines, they're left until April uh, for pruning. But any of the kind of uh, traditional blackcurrants, gooseberries blueberries, um, apples, pears.
0: So all non-stone fruit.
1: Yes, they can be pruned at this time of year. And you're just shortening back the whippy growth. Any whippy growth, that long extensive growth that's on the plant, shortening that back by two thirds. Any deadwood, any damaged branches, they're pruned out completely. And you're doing a tidying up really on the yeah. apple trees before they come into flower. The other thing I mentioned that when you prune, you feed. So... After pruning the roses, it's a good idea to get on a uh, uh, good rose fertilizer, top rose, or one of the traditional rose fertilizers. Something high in potash, and particularly for flowering plants, look for that as well. So hydrangeas will benefit from a, a feed as well. So when we prune, we, we feed. feed. You feed as well.
0: And because there's a couple of questions about a liquid feed there for apple trees, so again, we're that's the same principle, is yeah, it? Yeah.
1: If if you've got apples grown in in tubs and containers, yeah. the liquid feed is fine. You could use the Osmo liquid feed, the universal feed. That's perfect for fruiting plants. But if they're in the ground, you're better... better off with a granulated feed. So granulated fertilizers tend to be stronger they give more of a kick to plants so particularly if they're growing in open garden soil I would go for the granulated feed over the liquid feed liquid feed is fine for uh, plants in, in tubs and containers so you have strawberries in a window box or you have a small miniature apple tree in a, in a container a liquid feed is perfectly fine um, so granulated feeds for those that are out in the open ground liquid feeds for those that are in pots and containers
0: okay so based on what you've just said there now there was a question here with regards to apple trees and plum trees so apple tree is fine now plum tree later
1: uh, later yeah yeah, after stone. Flower. Is there anything with a stone? Okay. Uh, cherries, but ap- uh, um, plums, plums, peaches, nectarines—they're all in the prunus family. Mm-hmm. And if you prune them too early, they bleed; they lose a lot of sap. So it, they're always pruned as the leaves are coming on in kind of early, maybe mid-April. That's the perfect time to to prune the stone fruits back.
0: Great. We're going to stay with the fruiting plants for a second here now, because somebody else is wondering about what fruiting plants would be suitable to grow in pots or smaller gardens and when is the right time to plant them?
1: Okay, well, it's a super time for planting in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, again, if you're putting them in containers in particular, now is the time to start uh, looking for them and planting them up. Um, You can actually get miniature apple trees. So they're grafted onto very dwarfing rootstocks. Look for those. They're generally sold as patio fruits, patio apples, patio pears, plums, cherries. They're all available as miniature uh, trees, fruiting trees, and they're perfect for large tubs and containers. And they're better than using the standard trees because the standard trees are just too vigorous. Yeah. Within a couple of years they'll have outgrown the pots and you're planting them out in the garden anyway. So for smaller gardens, look for those patio fruits. They come in a whole range of different types and uh, now is the time to start planting them up. Also plants like strawberries will do very well in pots and containers. Blueberries, there's a very good variety called Darrow, D-A-R-R-O-W. Okay. Darrow, uh, blueberry. It's a self-fertile variety, which means you only need one or two plants because they'll bear fruit on their own. It produces blueberries the size of grapes. They're really big, huge, big, uh, large blueberries and a fantastic flavour. And a very nice plant as well, a very decorative plant. It produces a lovely autumn colour. So look for that one called Darrow. It's a self-fertile variety, bigger fruits, good flavour and perfect for pots and containers
0: lovely um, right well let's talk about we'll move from, from fruiting trees to hedging for a second um, so a couple of questions regarding uh, we've one here on bare dogwood and potted fuchsia a mrs topple variety okay, yeah. uh, listener is wondering again should we cut them back before planting yes. they're recently purchased
1: yeah so dogwoods are dogwoods it's that plant that produces the lovely red or yellow stem colour You'd often see it planted in, in hedgerows and so on um, it needs to be pruned every year mm-hmm. My advice is to prune it before you plant it or if people have planted it, cut it back to within six inches of soil level. Now, you'll start to see new growth starting on the dogwoods already. They tend to come into leaf early. But uh, disregard that. Cut them right back. So the berry plants would probably be anything up to three feet high at the moment. You're going to reduce them back by two foot six and leave in six inches of the stem remaining. Mm-hmm. From that, you're going to double the number of stems from the plant. That's the purpose of pruning, is to encourage new growth right from soil level. So you're actually going to make the plant bushier, stronger and with intense red colour because the cornices or the dogwoods tend to lose their colour unpruned. They tend to go back to a very woody Colour the loose, the lovely red. Red, yeah. Yeah. So what you're effectively doing with the pruning is keeping the plant young. You're encouraging new growth, new stems. And on that growth, with the roses, for example, you get better blooms. They tend to be more vigorous. With the dogwoods, you get nicer coloured stems. So certainly shorten them back. The same with the fuchsia. Mm -hmm. Um, I was saying to you, I've I've seen a a fuchsia in a car park recently, still in flower. From last year. In February. Yes, from last year. It flowered the whole winter, right through. Yeah. so, but fuchsias, yes, they should be cut hard back because, again, fuchsias flower on the new growth like a rose bush. So you prune those severely back now, again, give them a feed. And uh, you'll have fantastic colour in June. Yeah,
0: I think I know now where I made a mistake on a fuchsia. That's grand. <laughs> <laughs> we we that might, try, your to, question, we might it? try to rectify. I was wondering, why is that looking so miserable? Um, <laughs> that answers that. When, uh, well, uh, and wisteria, I'm just going to stay with these kind of plants yeah. for a second, um, which I always consider wisteria to be a bit of a tricky plant. I, I don't Shouldn't know why. Be, no but, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's because it takes a couple of years for it's it flower, to kind of come yeah, on properly. Yeah, yeah. But when planting wisteria, a listener is wondering how deep below the surface should the roots be? Well,
1: Well, the the best, wisteria is propagated either by seed or by grafting. And if you're buying a wisteria plant, try and get a grafted variety because it'll come into flower a lot earlier. Traditionally, wisteria sown from seed takes between 7 and 10 years to flower and tends to be excessively vigorous. Um, The grafted varieties tend to flower after the second year from planting. So look for a grafted variety if possible. You plant them exactly the same depth as they are in the pot. Mm-hmm. And that applies to all plants. Okay. Very very few plants you would actually plant deeper than the original pot level. Mm-hmm. And particularly for grafted wisteria, it's very important you don't cover the graft, grafting union. So, plant at the the, the level that it's in the pot. Yeah. Literally have it maybe an inch deeper at most, but that's it. It's a vigorous plant so do add some organic matter, rotted compost, farmer manure, mushroom compost, that type of thing into the planting hole. Do spend a bit of time with climbing plants in particular. You only get one chance of planting them. Because they scramble up the walls, you can't very well just dig them it's back big, out yeah, again. Big, yeah. So do always, if it's even common ivy or uh, hydrangea semianana or the wisteria, make sure you prepare the soil really well. So dig out old rubble, put in some good quality topsoil, right. some good quality manure as well. Really give spend a bit of effort in planting it because it's there for a lifetime. Wisteria yeah. will last anything up to 100 years. Um, so, so, so yeah. prepare it well. Yeah,
0: Spend yeah. the extra bit of work. Yeah,
1: because that's the problem. You know, the Listeners will often just dig a small hole, slot the plant in. It struggles then. It might grow for a year or two and then start struggling. Then you have to yank it off the wall. Uh, and and know, it's a big effort. It's a this, big effort. Yeah. So, do spend a bit of time. But it's a great time for planting climbers in particular. This is the time of year before they start to initiate new roots. Get them in now and get them pinned to the wall.
0: Okay. I'm going to stay with, with, with hedging for just one more. And then I, I'm going to turn my attention to weed killers because Okay. Quite a few questions about that. But a listener Jane asks, Can I plant a hedge in March? Want to create a divide border between myself and a neighbour. Okay. Plant to hold the leaves all year and grow to about six foot. Easy to look after, please.
1: Okay, right. Yeah, so a traditional hedge that'll yeah. grow to six feet. The, there's a, a very nice hedge called Etna, E. T. N. A. Okay. Um it's evergreen, holds the foliage. Um, lovely dark green foliage the new growth is bronze in colour it's a bit like the Fotinia red robin it's got a bronzy new yeah. growth which later turns to green um, Ethne grows 6 feet five, six, seven feet type of height yeah. it only produces about 6 inches of growth per year so it's very very easy to maintain and trim and particularly for smaller gardens you don't want to be putting in vigorous hedging plants yeah. so things like Lelandiae or you know really vigorous plants t- would become a problem and it'll be very hard to maintain and manage. So mm-hmm. always select a hedge that's relatively slow growing. It may take a, a couple of years it's extra, right yeah. but in the long term, in terms of tr- pruning and trimming and maintaining it, it'll be far, far easier. So look out for that. It's it's Aetna. Uh, it's a really good hedging plant. Evergreen, easy to grow. Bronze foliage in the new growth, Darker green leaf uh, yeah, nice. as it matures, and simple to keep at six feet, and it makes a, a really strong, impenetrable hedge. You won't see the neighbour between. Right. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, okay. yeah. so uh, it must be quite tight. Then the leaves are. Yeah, they?
1: Yeah. Well, the leaves are about the size a bit, a bit like, like, like camellia, the camellia, the camellia. Leaf actually. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Sli- slight tad bigger, glossy in colour, and uh, but it forms a good, dense, solid hedge. Maybe two feet in diameter, yeah. six feet high. Good, solid hedge.
0: So, Etna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um right let us let's talk about the weed killer. People the question really I suppose about the fact that people can't use Roundup now or the perception that we can't use Roundup now and what the alternatives might be.
1: Okay. So new yeah. legislation mm. came in in November last year. Um, and the legislation applies to the application of the weed killer not the purchase yeah, of the, the weed the killer. The
0: detail here is very interesting.
1: Yeah, so you you can still go in and purchase mm-hmm. um Sprays and weed killers and so on, but you cannot legally apply them. Now, that only that only pertains to agricultural weed killers. So,
0: so it's, if it's over a certain volume,
1: well, it's it's actually not do, even down to the volume. It's, it's down to whether a weed killer has been determined as an agricultural spray or a an amenity spray, and it's generally written on the box. Right. So, for example, a weed killer like Bandoc that's used agriculturally right. uh, by farmers, that you will need a license to apply that but you can purchase, purchase it. it. Right. Okay, so the license applies to the usability and using the actual spray. So whoever
0: is putting it on, in other words. Yeah,
1: so for example, you could go in and buy it, yeah. but you could get some. You could get a licensed applicator to actually apply it for okay. you.
0: I can't put it on myself.
1: Yeah, exactly. But for things like Roundup, they're mm. still available in an amenity or gardener's pack. So go in, if you go into your local garden centre, you'll see Roundup still for sale, and you can use that yourself without a license because it states on the box for... Amateur use or amenity use. So where it's actually labelled for amenity or amateur use, us or, or ordinary five eights right. can apply it without the need for going on training courses and so on. The other confusion people have is can they use their knapsack sprayer? Mm. Of course you can. Right. You can use your knapsack sprayer to put on the zero or to put on pack mm. because they're all gardener's packs. So it's only the, the legislation applies to agricultural weed you killers. And and there will be clearly written on it for agricultural use uh, or professional use. And any of those, you need a license to apply. So a listener can go into the local garden center, buy a small tub of their Roundup and apply it safely themselves.
0: Okay, so really, for the for the majority of us who, have, just who are just gardeners, it, it it's not it's not really going to affect it's us. It's
1: not going to be yeah. effective. It's there's only
0: a, if we're do, doing it as a business, sorry. Yeah, you know, and or for or general, weed,
1: if, if you want kind of a general weed killer mm. for using around the garden, there's one called Weed Free 360, which is very effective. It'll cover a very big area. It's fine for our ordinary uh, gardeners to use it. You can spray it through your knapsack or washing can or whatever. It'll kill a whole host of, of weeds, and it doesn't contaminate the soil. So that's probably a a very good general purpose weed killer. Now with all weed killers, read the pack, get good advice before Mm. you apply them, make sure you get a weed killer that is suitable for the purpose. But that particular one, Weed Free 360, is very effective for general weeds around the garden. Say in your vegetable garden, if there was weeds there at the moment, you want to eliminate them before you start planting your potatoes. Weed Free 360 360 is ideal because it doesn't contaminate. There's no residue left in the soil after application. Now for most weed killers, it's a tad early. You want the weeds actively growing, um, so again, I wouldn't be applying weed killers for at least another two to three weeks, when things start to warm up, when the weeds start to grow a little bit more. And that and it
0: doesn't get washed into the ground. Exactly,
1: exactly. The weeds are very tough and hardy now after the winter, the leaves mm. are leathery, so the weed killers tend not to work in the early spring. You're better off leaving it till the end of March, early April when they're actively growing.
0: Okay, we're going to finish up on a question in relation to rabbits, Porek, and a listener has a problem with rabbits eating flowers on a grave. So, wondering, would you be able to suggest, uh, are there rabbit resistant plants, I suppose? Well,
1: there are. like Even even, um, common plants like um, daffodils. Won't be eaten by rabbits because there's actually a, um, it be, a yeah. the sap yeah. has a has a bitter taste to it. So rabbit, you'll often see in a in a in a uh, a field meadow that the the, the daffodils are left alone. Some are, some of the small pricklier plants, like some of the alpines, are very effective as well. Little um, dwarf burdoses, where you've got actually quite a lot of thorns on the plants, will work as well. Um, Having said that, rabbits will eat such a wide variety of, of ornamental plants. You know, people want to put on little small bedding know, plants and yeah. what. They're not, whatever. They're,
0: they're not that discriminatory.
1: No, they're not. And and really, I suppose, long term, the netting it, netting the area or netting the containers. Um, now, the other one you could actually use is the um, product Grazon. Grazon, I would have featured that before. Yes. That's actually, that rabbits won't eat plants that that are sprayed with grazon so grazon is actually a it's a liquid it's calcium you mix it with water you apply it onto the bedding plants or shrubs and it leaves because of the calcium hares rabbits dislike the taste of it so we it's often used say on cabbage to yeah. prevent pigeons from eating right. the cabbage because they won't eat it um, and now you'd have to reapply so mm-hmm. you, if you put it on today you'd probably want to reapply it within two weeks or three weeks but certainly the are, um, the, the grazon would work very well okay
0: great we're going to Please leave sir. it there so tomorrow is Mother's Day, Mother's Day so don't forget about the mammies
1: yeah. and I'll be in the garden centre today if people are, are knocking around if they've got any questions that they want to ask me call into the garden centre in Turlock I'll be there from half eleven today through to five o'clock and or if they want to ask me a question on our website go on to our website there's a small little ask me button on the bottom of the page and if they want to send me a, 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 a question, question directly I'll, I'll again answer it through that uh, through the website as okay, well. Okay
0: great And this forum of course will be open again next Saturday morning next Saturday just morning, after we'll 9. All again. Okay thank you very much indeed Thanks, Pork. Stand by, uh, Michael Neary coming your way next directly after the news which is on the way after these from me until next Saturday just after 7. Good morning to you.